Well, hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, and this is actually um, part one of a two-part double bill in partnership with the National Crime Agency. Now, ordinarily, I don't tend to put trigger warnings on stuff, um, mainly because most of the kind of work that I do and the content that I do is inherently um, a of a kind of yeah challenging and emotional nature so yeah if I put a trigger warning on one then they should probably all have them however I'm just about to contradict myself and say this is the one that definitely does need some kind of red flags of warning at the beginning in that it is all about um, child sexual abuse and in particular digital paedophilia um, which are horrible words to even say less alone think about however it is a necessary and important conversation in fact when I got the email from the National Crime Agency my first instinct was to open it and think wow I am not capable of that I'm not a professional journalist this isn't a gig for me um, I should yeah I should pass on it and then I slept on it for a few days and spoke to my lovely producer Steve and realised that actually, of course, I should do it. This is exactly the work that I want to do. And I might not be a journalist, but I am a parent. And so that is how I show up here today. Um, so yeah, as I say, it's split into two parts. The first, I'm speaking to people from the NCA, one of them being Rob Jones, who is Director of Threat Leadership, which means he looks at um, so child sexual abuse, modern slavery, cyber crime, bar and drugs armed, immigration crime. He's a man with a very important job and he's joined by Marie Smith, who is in the education team at the NCA, part of the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Unit. Again, incredibly important work. Um, this is the first part of these, the double bill and we will look into um, the case in question and how that went about and um, how they how they found the criminal in question and in our second part I'll be talking to two parents who were victims of the um the guy in question you want your children to be happy you'll do anything for them and you can always sort their problems and this is one thing I couldn't sort I couldn't take it away do you know what I mean that's how I feel I couldn't I've managed to do every you know I can do everything but this is one thing that I couldn't sort as a parent so I failed Failed. So the case we're looking at is that of Dave Wilson. He targeted thousands of children and tricked at least 500 boys into sharing images of a sexual nature on Facebook. He was actually then convicted on the 10th of February this year to serve 25 years for, for his crimes. Right, okay, David, listen in. Okay. As of this moment, okay, you are under arrest for the following offences. I need you to listen to the offences, okay? I'm going to go through them. Right. Causing or inciting a child under 13 years of age to engage in sexual activity. Mm. Causing or inciting a child to engage in sexual activity. Sexual communication with a child. Blackmail. Making and distribution of indecent images of children. Mm. And the possession of indecent images of children. Do you not have to say anything? but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which you later on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. Okay, David, the grounds for this are that we're in possession of material that shows that accounts controlled by you, David Wilson, are involved in the commission of, of the offences for which I've just arrested you for, okay? This arrest is necessary for a number of reasons. 
to protect children or other vulnerable persons from you, to allow the prompt and effective investigation of the offences, okay, by means of recorded interview where special warnings may be delivered to you, okay, and to preserve evidence that we believe that you may attempt to destroy or hide if you're not arrested, okay, do you understand? Yeah. As we learn in this episode, Wilson, yeah, was prolific, but unfortunately he wasn't unusual. What I learn is that um, there is a huge number, a terrifying number of people looking at images of children at any given moment. This isn't an abstract thing that happens to a few people. This is very much something that's happening everywhere. And much as I'd like to kid myself that it's unlikely it would happen to my children, it appears that is definitely not the case. So yeah, it's a tough episode. It's an important one. Please do hang in there and, and go on this journey of education with me. So let's get cracking. So yeah, thank you both for being here. This is um, one of those conversations I guess we wish we all didn't have to have, but um, that isn't the way it goes, unfortunately. Life is, is full of these bits and actually this podcast was all designed to have honest conversations about tricky subjects. And then when an email like this one pops in your inbox and it's a genuinely the trickiest subject, you can't let yourself shy away from it. So, so here we are. So to give everyone listening a little bit of a background, could you both explain like who you are, what your job roles are to start with? Yeah, sure. So, so um, I'm Rob Jones and I'm one of the directors in National Crime Agency and I'm responsible for tackling online child abuse. So I'm Marie Smith. I head up our education programme, it's called Think You Know, um, and we aim to provide information around child sex, sexual exploitation and abuse to children and young people, to parents and carers um, and to professionals as well. They're real jobs. They are real jobs. Goodness me. <laughs> the fact that they're kind of fluffy title I have to give myself. Anyway, we're here really to talk about the bigger picture, but to focus on the um, the case of David Wilson. Could you give us, again, the listeners some background about his case, what he did, how he operated, the top to tail as much as you can off the top of your head, please? Yeah, sure. So Wilson was uh, a really cynical offender that used... Um, a tactic to masquerade as another child and a false social media persona and coerce other children into providing him with images and then blackmail them to abuse other children. So I think it's really important that we understand what that means. So people sometimes misunderstand the online threat and see it as images that are being traded and recycled that are old images. People like Wilson and the typology of his offending is all about producing new images. So it is contact abuse in people's homes where typically siblings are forced and blackmailed to abuse uh, their brothers, sisters or friends and take new images of that abuse and then send them to the abuser. So Wilson was prolific. Um, it took us four years to bring him to justice. It was uh, an incredible piece of work. But um, one of the unique elements of the case was that he was hiding behind numerous online personas which hadn't been verified. So they were false accounts where he was able to masquerade as a child. We first got into Wilson and his offending as a result of referrals from the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. We call it NECMEC. The National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children is a charity that's based in the US 
that refers images um, and chat relating to child abuse that's detected on the big platforms in the US to the UK. So the National Crime Agency has a referrals bureau that works 24-7 to re receive this material, assess it, and take action very, very quickly to mitigate the risk to children. So we got a series of referrals which caused us concern about an online persona which appeared to be a 13-year-old girl that was eliciting photographs from uh, a large number of boys. Um, because of the content, because of the data that was disclosed to us by Facebook uh, around those accounts, we were able to work through that. And eventually, through some really, really good investigative activity, we identified a male who turned out to be Wilson, who was using prepaid mobile phones to run multiple accounts. So we began proactive work against Wilson. He was arrested a number of times before we got sufficient evidence to uh, bring him to justice. Um, and we know that he victimized hundreds of children, attempted to victimize thousands of children, and we think he tried to make contact within a region of 5,000 children globally. Um, the level of the case that we built up against him was unassailable, and he pleaded guilty to 96 counts, which is really significant. And for online offending, he got a 25-year sentence, which again is at the higher end of what you get. But I think the crucial thing about Wilson, there, there is lots in that offending, which is really, really important to for parents, carers, and for law enforcement in terms of how we got there and how we cope with people like him in the future. So the, the first point I would make is that there is a really low barrier to entry to offending online. So what do I mean by that? You know, if you are motivated by achieving sexual gratification by looking at child abuse images, there is nothing to stop you on the open web from uh, obtaining those images. Uh, they are very easy to obtain. Uh, we've explained all of that to the big tech companies and we find it uh, completely untenable that there are images that are known images and detectable that people like Wilson can obtain and then develop an appetite for child abuse online. And we see a continuum of offending where people like Wilson view images, uh, view more and more severe images and then uh, identify like-minded people online, go into closed forums, and then incite each other to more and more depraved abuse. So in, in this type of scenario, you can through from looking at images to potentially grooming children, to then enter a closed forum on the dark or open web, and be told that if you want to be a member of that forum, you need to get new abuse images. So then that triggers a behavior which reaches out to children in their home where they should be safe, where they will then be blackmailed to abuse their siblings or friends to produce those new first generation images. And that is new contact abuse. So in the world of child abuse, for many, many years, people have got this wrong. They've talked about online and real abuse. It's all real. Uh, and for a child, their life is now online. They live their life online. Uh, and what this does, you know, the contact that is triggered by this is done by proxy by this type of offender. There are other offenders, of course, who also get real-world encounters with children and physically abuse them themselves or physically abuse their own children or friends' children. But crucially, there is a new twist in this offending, which is that typology to incite children to abuse other children and then replay those images online and trade them to re-victimise children. 
Wilson did that at scale. Uh, he did it uh, for some time. We worked on him relentlessly to bring him to justice. And there were, a, there were a few things that dropped out of that case which caused us concern for the future, and that's why we've spoken very openly about it. Uh, we've covered our concern in evidence in the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse. We've spoken about it in the Home Affairs Select Committee. We've been very public as a law enforcement agency about what we think needs to change. And, and there are a few things about this case which I'll kind of go through very, very quickly. The first point is that in an environment where a social media company can no longer see what's happening on their platform because they've invoked end-to-end -end encryption, they will not be able to supply us the content which allows us to apply for search warrants, authorities, and use covert tactics to investigate that individual. That is a fact, and that's a fact that's acknowledged by big tech. Um, there are lots of plans for business changes and business models to change over the coming years and many of them pivot to a business model which is end-to-end -end encryption, which locks companies out of their own content. Now, we, we have, from an evidential position, expressed our concern about that change, uh, and we are working very hard with people like Facebook and telling them why we think that's not a good idea. The second point about this case is that uh, Wilson had multiple personas, at least 20 different accounts, and he ran those with impunity. There was no two-factor uh, verification. There was no identity verification. You know, you've got platforms at the moment where children masquerade as adults and adults masquerade as children. You think about the real-world context of that, uh, and if you're in a building or in an environment, um, and, and there were people that were part of that cohort who wanted um, to achieve sexual gratification by getting their hands on children, you think how damaging that could be. So anonymization was a key part of the offending and, and, and this typology. Then the third element is the coercion and the blackmail and the trigger to, to create more physical abuse. Now, Marie and the team work really, really hard on this. So this is developing open conversations with parents and carers. So if a child thinks they've traded an image and given something up that they shouldn't have done or done something that they shouldn't have done, that they reach out. And it's really, really crucial that we develop resilience in children and other victims, because adults fall victim of this as well, where they can break that cycle of abuse and reach out for help. The minute somebody reaches out, the offender's disempowered. They've got nothing on you. But it's creating the, the trust and the open conversations where children, very, very young children, you know, we see children as young as nine um, accessing extreme pornography and pornography we see a whole range of behaviours which create conditions which uh, allows this offending to flourish. So the, the other thing that was really, really difficult about this for us, which is important for the future, is that much of the data was extraterritorial. It was in the US. So we work very closely with the companies. We work very closely with US law enforcement. There is some very good measures being taken by the UK government to get access to data overseas. But fundamentally, we had hundreds and hundreds, thousands of lines of chat that were the evidence in this case that were held by Facebook. It took us a very long time to get access to that, which slowed the investigation down. But again, if this material is end-to-end -end encrypted and is not available to Facebook, you know, we need to understand how we'll do a Wilson-type investigation in the future. So, so in essence, we look at the future and we look at, the, if you like, the Wilson test and we'll... Uh, we'd be able to investigate these type of cases in the future. Um, 
And, it, and it's absolutely clear that offenders learn from this. So what Wilson did when we got to him, you know, he knew what he was doing. We have seen other really cynical offenders, people like Matthew Folder. Over 30 years, he got in prison. That's a life sentence, similar sentence you get as you would for homicide. He victimized hundreds. He engaged in this type of behavior. And the thing that really worries me is there are people like Wilson today engaging, masquerading as children, engaging with other children, telling those children to take images, get images of them sexually abusing others and telling them that that's normal. Now, we work flat out 24-7 to deal with as much of this as we can, but in the operational context that we work in, 4,500 arrests last year, 6,000 children safeguarded. You know, we are running flat out in UK law enforcement to try and mitigate this. So going back to my point of where people start, because, you know, you don't just become a Wilson overnight. You get there. Some people are wrongly wired and they're perhaps always going to do it. But our big concern is we need a really hard stop to prevent the escalation where this type of, this type of behavior is normalized. And we throw every capability the NCA has, has got available to it against this threat. You know, I cover a range of serious organized threats from drugs to cyber. Child abuse is one of the areas that, that, that we specialize in. But every single thing we can do in terms of covert law enforcement, online and offline, we are doing. Um, and we know these individuals learn from where they're caught and exchange ideas. They create manuals about how they can abuse children and they exchange their tradecraft doing it. You know, so, so, so for me, Wilson is, a, is another case, a bit like the Matthew Folder case, which was on the dark web. This is an open web case where large scale social media was used as a tool to engage in industrial scale abuse of children. And we need to stop it. And I, I'm absolutely convinced that with the level of technical acumen that sits on the West Coast and the level of knowledge of their own systems that we can do much better than we're doing now to stop this. You know, from a law enforcement perspective, we'll always go after these people, but we are we want to prevent the offending. We don't want to be sweeping up the glass after it's happened. We want there to be a really small number of these people, and we want to really chase the worst individuals, not be confronted by thousands. And to kind of um, you know pause on the thought that our assessed intelligence picture is there is a minimum of three hundred thousand individuals in the UK who pose a sexual threat to children. So that's the scale of the challenge we're up against, and that's why we need change and why we need to take demand out the front end, stop people from seeing image, child abuse images, stop them from being on the open web, and stop people masquerading as children. And then, you know, from Marie's perspective, she works really, really hard to create resilience in, in children and parents. Well, I think what's interesting here as well is what Wilson was doing, but if you just think of the young person in their bedroom, usually in their bedroom at that time, he wasn't asking for anything too unusual. For young for children, young people to be asked for a sexual image of themselves, really sadly, isn't an unusual thing to happen. So if you speak to any teenager to say, has anybody approached you online? Has anybody asked you for a sexual image? Do you know of anybody who's been coerced, manipulated, forced and sending anything online? Sadly, it's very likely the answer will be yes. So so what was happening there and what could potentially start as very innocent, obviously we've got lots of young people, even in consensual relationships kind of peer relationships, um, you know, who are also, you know, engaging in this type of activity, sadly it has become very normalised to do this. And I think it's really interesting what Rob says there about 
you know, the kind of offender typologies and his MO and all those types of things, but actually if we bring it back to the child in their bedroom, what they're being asked to do is not that unusual. And sadly, it's, in this case, it's predominantly, it is boys, it's, it's all young males. Um, and actually for, for a young, who they believe to be a young female coming on, talking to them, and this did happen in a really quick time. I think for lots of parents and carers in particular, they can think of potentially some really kind of old school grooming type scenarios where actually there's really building relationships, there's conversations happening over weeks and months and potentially years. We're talking minutes in some cases um, of them coming on, of them establishing contact. So it doesn't mean a relationship, some form of contact, and to ask for something that they want. In this case as well, he shared images first in some cases. So I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And again, that's a kind of time-old technique, really, isn't it? Is that you show me yours and I'll show you yours. It's all very exciting for young people. The hormones are racing. It, you can see how young people, you know, do end up being in some really tricky situations really, really quickly. And obviously that abuse then escalates very, very quickly. You know, when our officers, when our child protection advisors were going through the doors to these young people to, to safeguard them, lots of them, even at that stage, based on the horrendous abuse that they'd encountered, did not know that that was a male. They were still under the impression that this was a young female. And obviously all of those cases, and there's so many young people involved in this, differs. Um, at that point, they had to be told that they were a part you know, um, of, of this case and that a male online had groomed them. And, and then I'm, I'm sure many of them thinking, I've been, oh, I've discussed this at school. This is something that I've spoken about. But when you're in that moment um, and they're picking up on some level of vulnerability of whatever that might be, it might be that, you know, your vulnerability often is that you're just a teenager. You know, it doesn't mean that you're from a care home. It doesn't mean from a broken home. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means I'm a teenager online um, and sexy things are interesting to me, you know. And, and what Rob said there about we are seeing younger and younger People, very young children, you know, accessing pornography online. So, again, this is all very normal to them to, to see this type of content um, in comparison to what we would have seen as, as a, you know, as a young person. It's, it's, it couldn't be further away. The thing is, what happens is you sit here as a parent, and I think you're both parents, and you, every bit of you wants to believe this isn't happening. You know, that, that it's, a, it's a real case of fingers in, the, fingers in the ears, isn't it? And you think, and it's really important that we pull up that yeah when we say vulnerable children I read that in the case notes I'm like oh, okay that makes my kids safe but you're they're vulnerable just by being children yeah, and, that evening you know they've had a, yeah they've had a, and having hormones they've broken up with a partner they, they just want some form of attention you know we all like attention there, there's nothing wrong with that um and, and if somebody's going to come into your life at a certain time that that's just hits upon that right time and obviously and think about this as well with regards to, to Wilson and many other offenders online is what we call a kind of scattergun approach. He isn't targeting that individual because he thinks I'm going to work really hard on building that relationship, as I said, to get that picture of them. It's a, I'm just going to go for hundreds and thousands and I'm going to see who bites. I'm going to see who's going for me and I'm going to keep going and keep going until I break them at, at the end of the day and make them do more and more degrading things um, online and the more that they do the more I can blackmail them to not tell anyone because his big thing was I will share these images of you everything that you've done and I've forced you to do but no one's going to know that because actually when an image is taken we don't know even often as law enforcement has that picture been taken because someone's manipulated them forced them coerced them to do so or have they gone into the bathroom and decided to take a picture of themselves in the mirror 
you know, we're not actually often sure if we see it in isolation. So, you know, it's, it's interesting when he said, I'll release that. And actually he did. You know, there are occasions where those images are sent to friends and family. And the minute that threat has been seen through, that young person then thinks, well, actually they've done it now. So there's no way of getting out of this. And, and who can think of anything worse than a sexualized image of yourself being shown to a parent, a parent or parent?
It makes me feel sick to think of it. But that is the level of power that these people can exert by proxy. So, you know, we really need to break this, this perception that this isn't real world and it's online. It's real world, it's contact abuse, and it's happening in people's houses, bedrooms, you know, and, and that's why we need to grip it and wrestle it to the floor and do something about it. I mean, I can't help feeling that in 10 years' time, we'll all look back at this time and go, what on earth was going on there? Why did we let that happen? I couldn't agree more. I feel like, I was talking to a friend, I feel like human evolution has taken a path and then the internet has just accelerated us to it. And I, I, I hope that one day we will find a way to live with it in a way that works for us, but this human development hasn't caught up with what is available to us now, and our like, and it, and it's across the board, it's having horrible impacts. But this is the one which kind of you can't you can't rationalise it, you can't make sense of it or make it okay. It's just horrific. I think what we need to think about as well is that it's just not one person's job to make that okay. What I specifically mean by that, it's not the young person's responsibility. So I think there's so much pressure put on young people to keep themselves safe and I think we really just need to move away from that form of language it's you know it's a community response it's us in law enforcement agencies it's parents and carers it's it's you know you doing your job spread it spreading the word today it's you know it's government it's policy there's everyone needs to wrap around that young person protect them as as much as they can they don't have the capability to do this you know they are they're not developed in, in a way that they they can respond how we want them to and I think there's been too much pressure put on young people to well, you've had that education in school, so why didn't you notice? You know, it's, that's not going to be our kind of way out. It, it's, a, it's, you know, a cog in that, in that machine, and it's a really, really important one. I think we're all getting better at it. I think you know, the inclusion of the relationships and sex education curriculum coming in statutory now from September is going to play a massive role in this as well. So it's not just looking at the internet. It's not an online safety assembly. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about sex and the internet. And when you put all of those things together... It's really complicated. Um, let's digest it. Let's pull it apart. Let's talk about it. Um, so schools play such an important role in this. And, and what we do at Think You Know is, is provide all of that information for them to pick it up, to bring it into the classroom, and to deliver that to children and young people. So that's kind of part of our role in, in doing that. But it's, you know, from this September, um, we're really hoping that, you know, the, the way in which schools kind of provide this education is going to look very, very different. And, and it just proves as well that the government have put a, a light, you know, on this. And there's so much happening in, in the press, within schools, within peer groups as we speak. So what they can learn will apply across across their lives. You know, it's not just in this one scenario when I'm online. It's I'm going to build resilience in this way. I'm going to work on my self-esteem. I'm going to think about what manipulation means and how someone might manipulate me. And that could be from a peer who sits next to you in your classroom, from your first boyfriend or girlfriend, through to a total stranger on the, on the internet. So it's those real kind of life tools and lessons that, that we are going to be, and do now, but even more so, be teaching young people to apply in multiple situations. I'm just popping back in to remind you that this is part one of two um, parts of this episode. Next week, I'll be talking to two parents of children who were victims of David Wilson. They're incredibly brave and open and honest with me. Um, I was in awe of them. Um, and yeah, please do join me next week. But in the meantime, let's keep listening to this episode. For most of my listeners and, and what this podcast can help with, it, it is to sit here as, as parents and say we've absolutely 
I mean, I previously covered kind of digital security and and again, like maybe I haven't taken it seriously enough, like within reason I have, but unfortunately with these things, it happens too late. You know, my kids are still yeah, only six, six and eight, but actually, as you say, the statistics suggest that, that things are heading that way very young and you've just got to have those conversations preemptively. So we start you? our education at four, um, age group four. Really, if a, if a child is picking up a device, a t- at some point, yeah. there's some form, and obviously it's appropriate. <laughs> so it's appropriate to their age. It's just understanding that what being online means at the age of four. Being online is very different. So you're technically tapping into something where you can meet people that you don't know. You know, these are taking the stranger danger model, I guess, online, and, and for them to understand that as a, as a baseline. So. You know, we, we set the foundations at a really young age. And obviously, as we go up through the years groups, so we have our four to sevens, our eight to tens, our 11 to 13, our 14 plus. As you can imagine, <laughs> what we talk about um, becomes much more severe. But actually, if you look at our resources for the 10 year olds, we do talk about manipulation, threatening behavior. We talk about it in, in respect of um, how that might manifest in a peer group or in a friendship. And it's very, very subtle. Um, so it's talking about why people might prick you into sending something silly because they want to make fun of you or they want to do something that, that might embarrass you. That, if you think about it now, is very similar to what Wilson did or, or why young people felt that like they couldn't talk about it because they were embarrassed. They felt they'd done something wrong. So they, those are the exactly same qualities and characteristics. So we're, we're starting really young with those and then building on them as, as the young people get older and we can be much more frank and clear in, in kind of, you know, what's appropriate at that age and their relationships and their sex develop, education development. It's, it must, am I right in saying you're both parents? Is that correct? Yeah. It must be very hard to separate your professional life with then going home and looking at your kids and the reality of it. So, so you know, certainly for me, you've got to be able to process this and, you know, put it in it in context and deal with it. It's kind of, uh, you know, probably easier for me in terms of the ages of my children now. But um, the, the reality is uh, the, the, the way we all cope with it, everybody that's involved in it copes with this differently. You know, we all get support where we need it. But the reality is you need to be able to process it and move on. Uh, you know, I, I really, really, my heart goes out to people in this field that have got very young children because it, you know, uh, it just must resonate a lot more. But, but the, the reality is that the real problem with dealing with this threat, you know, I come from a traditional organised crime background. I didn't always deal with child abuse. So I, I came to this with a fresh pair of eyes. Um, looking at the problem and looking at how we could deal with being proactive and target the, the people that were behind it. What you soon realise is like unlike any other threat, um, this drops out of the news within minutes, hours, because people can't hold on to it. So, you know, whatever we do, and we're not trying to scare people, you know, it's absolutely not the case. We want to educate, we want to create resilience, and we want to make uh, platforms safer. We want safer by design, you know, to proliferate. And people should be proud of having the safest platforms to protect children. So if you bear all of that in mind, if you look at the Wilson media, you'll have seen it. We, we work very hard to tell the story and to tell parents and carers what you know all of this is about. People don't like talking about this with their friends. Uh, they don't process it. They don't really understand what those numbers mean. You know, 
what, what it means is that we've got a societal problem that is bigger than law enforcement then, and, and that we will work, you know, flat out to deal with this, and we are, but it is bigger than a law enforcement solution, and it does require everybody to understand the difference between privacy concerns, security concerns, safety by design, and all of those trade-offs. You know, so I can rationalise all of this. You know, that's a long-winded answer to your question. How do you do? But but I come at it from a problem perspective and what needs to change um, because I can do that and I can rationalise it. Sometimes you hear things which are really really difficult to process and deal with, but you have to move on and let go of them because they are visceral and horrible. And the people who do victim ID for us and work on these new first generation images, you know, we get a first generation image. And we've never seen it before. That is a child at risk in a house. And we need to find that child and get through that door. And we do that with national policing and police forces all of the time. But that means confronting those images on the screen and dealing with it to identify where that child is and get to them to rescue them. So that is, you know, the really the most positive statistic in everything that we talk about is the safeguarding figures. Six, seven thousand children that we've got to with policing colleagues where we have safeguarded them. You know, that is a massive benefit to society. But, you know, it, this needs to be something that without scaring people, without this being, being com, com, demonizing people, you know, without looking at offenders through that lens, we understand it, we process it, we deal with it as part of an internet-enabled age, and we tackle it head on, you know. I just can't, I can't help feeling this is like a slow motion train crash at the moment, that everybody is observing it and commentating on the problem. Um, but you haven't yet got the big fundamental change which says, right, stop, enough. You know, for 20 years, kids have been online with very little protection. And the only protection we give them is the parent that is trying to tell them, be careful online. You know, you know that doesn't really work when you're a child or a teenager. That's the last thing listen to so so yeah it, it is difficult it is difficult and it needs a big shift to in society to take it on and confront it and it does mean people not forgetting that this stuff goes on yeah and hold it hold it in your head like it, it, it's such an like, innate reaction isn't it it's like that is the most hideous thing I can picture so I'm just gonna literally yeah. And I think for as much as I said earlier, that young people, if you speak to them, would say, I've had some form of negative experience online. I think that's just a fact. Thankfully, the majority of their experience online has been really positive. So I think what's really difficult for, for Rob and I is that 100% of what we see is really nasty. You know, it's not very nice. And we see the worst of humankind in that way. But thankfully, the parents' role here, which is really, really, really important role, is that when they do talk to their young person about this, is most of it has been really positive, and and they can they can really get involved in those positive parts as well and play a really active role, and I think that's really important. And I think sometimes parents can feel, I just don't understand technology. It's like you really don't have to. You don't have to know how to use TikTok. You don't have to know Snapchat. You haven't got to know what the next big thing is coming along, but you can ask them to show you. You know, and actually. Most young people that we've spoken to, and we've done, we do so much direct work with young people and, and create reports and all of this stuff, and they'll say, actually, no, I do want my, my parent or parent to be involved in, in my life. And obviously there's, 
there's sometimes when you know they may or may not but I think the biggest thing that they tell us is I just want them to know that they are there if I need them and, that, and that's huge you know that's huge to think if you have if you're listening today and you've never discussed this topic with your child please do so tonight you know it's never too late and to go in and just to start that conversation around kind of what do you use like I'm really interested like can you show me like that looks really fun can we do that as a family or just us two can it be like when we talk about it, and then whilst you're in there and whilst you're using it, you can say, have you ever seen anything that's just not very nice in here? Or you could even deflect it a little bit so the young person doesn't feel like they're kind of being questioned too much. Have any of your friends experienced this? You know, is there anything, you know, please remember at any time, if anything happens that you're worried or concerned about, I will never blame you. You know, we need to be embarrassed. So that is the really crucial thing. If they're, you know, the, the one thing, and this is really difficult for parents, and I include myself in this, it, it, it is, you know, when, when children get themselves in bother, there is always an element of, of irritation, anger, frustration. If you can manage that and you can get a relationship where your child feels they can tell you and you're not going to blow up, the people behind this, the offenders, have got nothing. The minute a child speaks up and reaches out for help and they become a survivor and they move on, that's it. It's over. And, 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 Making children brave enough to reach out, come what may, and if they can't reach out to their parents, reach out to someone else, we can stop these people. And literally, all it takes, the minute you break that cycle, the extortion model, the blackmail model, works on coercion. The minute you tell someone else, they've got nothing on you. You can laugh in that offender's face, you know, because they have nothing on you. And it's creating an environment where that can happen, and parents don't blame accept it, work with the child, however they feel, and move on is really, really crucial because it disempowers the offender yeah. and empowers the survivor. And, and that's what, you know, why what Marie says is so important. Um, and it's easier said than done. Yeah. It's easier said than done, you know, particularly with teenagers and, and, and children that are really going to push the barriers. But, but we, need, we need to find a way yeah, of doing it. Yeah, and part of our role as well on the education team is is to help young people find that language. It's really difficult to have a difficult conversation. You know, it, we've all had to have difficult conversations about various things, and how you find the words to do that can be really tricky. So actually, part of the education program is let's find those words. Something's happened. You know, how do we talk about it? And you know, and as I said, for, for parents as well, you know, there's so much that happens in the media. There's so much that we see. There's so much happening this second on, on what's in the press and relating to to these types of topics. Is as much as we all want to shy away from them, particularly if you work in it, you just think, I don't want to bring this home. But actually, at the right age, talk using that as a tool. You know, did you see this in the news? Let's talk about it. Can I just remind you, if anything like this happened to you, we are here for you. You know, and please just let us know the minute it happens and we can, we can help you and we can safeguard you. So, like, using those things around you as, as could be great tools um, to start a conversation. Yeah, there's a couple of things to pick up on there. One that you're saying normalise this. I've done, previously done an episode on gaming, which is actually another space where this happens, which you might think is outside of it. But it's very easy, and I've done it with mine, to go, I don't really understand what they're doing, so I'm just not going to look anymore. And and actually, it 
to yeah, TikTok's another good example. That can actually be really nice things to do, and in, in terms of your your child's digital footprint, is just being involved with it in the nicest sense. Get them to teach you the dances, get them to explain what on earth these games are, and then it sets it makes it much easier to stay in touch with them as they get older and as things get more complicated. But what you're saying about the difficult conversations, if as as adults, so that might be two parents or your colleagues, if we can't be brave enough to say the word paedophile and sex, child sexual abuse, what hope have we got of, of having the right conversations with our kids? So you are right, we've got to just learn to make it something that we talk about, even though it couldn't be more taboo. Yeah. And for your chat to be, you know, in the main will be positive. So there will be elements that are tickling risk. And I would encourage parents to do that as well, as to not just, and I think I've seen this within my own kind of groups around me, is going in, you're not talking to a stranger online, or just be careful about that. And it's always, from a parent's point of view, quite negative stuff. So actually, really start with the positive and, and then kind of drip feed some of that through. So actually, it's not just, oh, mum or, mum or dad only ever talks to me when they heard something on the, on the news. You know, it's, it's just, as you said, it's a part of the ongoing conversation and, you know, make it age appropriate and relevant to your young person. And I think, you know, so we've got all of that broken down in, into age groups. Let them know, as I said, they can turn to you for support, but also where they can report, as Rob says, if they don't feel like they can come to you. And that's okay as well. You know, it's not always going to be, as much as as parents, we would want them to always feel like they can. Um, sometimes they just can't and they don't feel comfortable doing so. So there, there's lots of other places. So Childline being the biggest out there. They can, they can call or they can go on message at any time to, to do that. They can report to CLIP, as we call it. That's our own reporting tool in relation to these topics related to child sexual abuse, if they think anything's happened to them online or what strangers contacted them. I think the biggest thing for me is that to kind of inform parents on, this is where our superpower come in, comes in, we know our young people best. Everybody else knows like we do. So trust your instincts. If you think there's something not quite right, go for it. And it might be something that's happened online, it might be something that's happened in school, it might just be something that's playing on their mind from something they've seen. But you know them, trust that, have the conversation and, and, and open and open that up. And, and it's been so surprised by, I'm sure many, many parents listening are already doing this, um, but just to kind of lean in. And on this case specifically, how did, did you manage to, how, not confessionals isn't the right word because they're, they're the victims, but how did it come to light? Did, was it often the parent st starting that conversation with the child or the other way around, or was it both? So, so in fact, we came into it outside in, and that's why the kind of involvement of the tech companies is so important. So we didn't have uh, an obvious route into the victims in this case. They were hidden um, behind all of the profiles. So we came into it from the offender and then once we worked on Wilson and the accounts, we then systematically worked out who the victims were, went through that terrible process of approaching them and their families to safeguard them, you know, um, and then moved on from there. And, and some of those individuals, you know, their testimony was really, really important to, to convicting uh, Wilson. So that, that gives you an idea of the challenge, you know, it is... One of the trade-offs that's talked about, you know, in the conversations with the tech companies is kind of reporting from platforms um, and that, you know, that would perhaps deal with some of the deficit of losing access because of end-to-end -end encryption. Well, that the reality of that is, you know, 
survivors, suspects, you know, suspects don't report on each other, that they create a closed environment and you only really find out when it's too late when somebody's been victimized. So, so you know, that doesn't really work for me. What you need is the ability to come in and uh, disrupt a relationship that's wrong, which is abusive, uh, and allow you know law enforcement to deal with that. But you know, prevent it where you can, so you know who's on your platform. You verify who's on your platform. You make sure that the you know the device they're using is fixed to their account. You do everything you can to make sure they're not creating false accounts. That they are who they say they are, and they're not you know crucially men masquerading as teenage girls. Um, it's all of those things stack up, which give us the ability to identify, you know, victims and survivors. So, you know, but in this case, it was the insight that we got from the NECMEC referrals that got us there. And that's why we're so concerned about losing it. Yeah, and I think it's, this is a real thing for me to to wake up to. Like, we all feel like we want end-to-end encryption to, to safeguard ourselves. But actually, it, like, it's, it's utterly clear that it's going to be terrible for protecting those who need to be protecting i don't think that is talked about enough That's i don't not... think it is coming and i don't know can you explain to me why you think you want it i don't know i just feel like because we're i mean coincidentally i've previously been i've worked for facebook so i have great as in i was an employee of them so i have great faith in them actually yeah. generally um but 100 but yeah people think they want it because they don't want anyone getting their data, but if you're not doing anything wrong, then 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 most of my activity is extremely boring. Not most, all of my activity. So I guess the challenge for me is what problem are we trying to fix? Yeah. And, and where is the clamour to, to move to, to the model? And, you know, and, and on the Facebook point, we've got a great relationship with them. You know, where we're at is saying, I kind of don't understand what how you're going to do what you do for us now which we think is brilliant, by the way, um, in the future. So please explain to us how you can do what you do now when you change your business model. It's a simple question. Now, um, whichever way you look at that, uh, there is a deficit in, in what we get. Um, and the, the kind of public discourse around uh, why we want this, you, you know, that's not a flippant question, you know, because there's lots of ways you can professionally encrypt which NCA, big fans of encryption. We want encryption to protect people's data. I tackle cybercrime. I want encrypted data. I don't want cyber attacks and data breaches. You know, that keeps me awake at night as well. So, so, you know, the reality is, why are we doing it? Let's focus on why we're doing it and what problem we're trying to fix um, and, and then go from there. And there's lots of different technical fixes and things you could do. Crucially, all we want is, you know, we can't, I've said this before, we can't unknow what we know now. So we, we know what's on those platforms now, and it isn't just Facebook. Uh, we know what's out there. So whenever that switch is clicked, we just know we're not going to be able to see it anymore, and we can't ignore uh, it. And that must be terrifying, like, for it just to disappear, or that effectively disappear, that that vital resource. Uh, yeah. And I was going to say, I think a lot of parents as well, with relation to a lot of these sites, there is, there is a lot of trust in them. There is just, when you talk, kind of get down to the nitty gritty with parents around, what kind of privacy do they, or parental kind of control tools, what do they think they do? How do they 
take their child, why, why is it 13? Why is it even 13 for a lot of children to be on the site? It's got nothing to do with their yeah. developmental age, nothing to do with their no. appropriateness of that. It, you know, it's, so when you get into that, a lot of parents think that all this stuff's already happening for the right reason. So they think there's much more happening behind the scenes, yeah. what I'm trying to say. But there's a lot happening behind the scenes. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And a lot of children will say to yeah. them, you know, do you want encryption? They'll say, I don't really care. Like, does it help me? No. You know, yeah. so actually, the use, they're the users. You know, a lot of these sites, this is who you want to go yeah. on your site. And they don't care and they don't want it. So why do you want it? You know, um, is it that mm. actually, yeah, I don't know. There's, you know, there's multiple reasons. For, 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 but. Yeah. And then this is a bit of a tangent, but... Um, if the data suggests that there are this many paedophiles or potential paedophiles out there, it could well be the case that there's someone listening who feels like that is somewhere that their heads could go. And I, and I you know, I, I don't want that to be true, but that, but that is truthful. And you know, actually, as a parent, we're breeding the next generation of adults and our extended families and friends. So, how do is there such a thing as somewhere that they can go for help to yeah. stop that? Yeah. Or help try? You know, there's lots. I mean, Marie will, will come in on this as well. But, look, you know, if people are having those thoughts, um, Lucy Faithful, Stop It Now, they can test this space really, really hard. They work with offenders. Um, they, they deal with, um, you know, you know the, the ramifications of this behaviour getting out of hand. Um, and, and so, you know, one of the terrifying things that we have to deal with and our investigation teams deal with is a really high rate of suicide amongst offenders. So the tale of harm just goes on and on and on. You know, so people hide what they're doing. We catch them. We deal with them as compassionately uh, as we can. We give them suicide prevention uh, options. We do everything we can to support them. The, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's many of those offenders will commit suicide. Uh, and, and that then has another layer of agony and harm for their innocent family members, um, and it goes on and on. So, you know, if, if you know and you can, you are in a position where your behaviour is, is accelerating, then you need to put a stop in. You need to speak to someone, you speak to your doctor, you need to speak to an NGO, a charity, people like Lucy Faithful. And confront it and confront your offending, you know, because it isn't right, you know. And people don't like talking about societal norms. They don't, you know. But the one thing that we do all have to confront is sexual abuse of children is not is wrong and it needs to stop. And you can't normalise it. You can't rationalise it. And if you feel like that, you need to get help. You need to get help. And, and interestingly as well, on, on that, there will also be people listening to this whose partners, so they are aware that their partners are viewing child abuse image material, for instance, and haven't reported it. Um, because what they don't want is the decline of their family, the embarrassment of what happens, the, you know, being ostracized from, from everyone around them, etc., and what impact that has on them and potentially their children in, in respect of that. But obviously that individual, you don't know what they they're doing, you know, well, we were doing, they're viewing images, but are they also talking to the other people? Are they the next loser, you know, are they doing this type of things? And it's, you know, so I guess there's two sides to that, isn't there? Is the people that who, who are here listening and, and want to get help and also those who know of people who are um, in that space. Um, so they can also call Lucy Faithful for, for advice. 
as well, and it would be confusing. And um, if, for example, you were to be reporting a husband, a friend, or whoever, you know, I imagine those services are very supportive. You're not, they're not going to like throw you out in the dark having done this because it's a huge act of bravery not to be underestimated, but it, yeah, it, to have, I imagine people will be helping you through that process. Oh, yeah, most, most definitely. In particular, you know, Lucy Faith Foundation, is, this, is, this is their sole purpose, um, it is to help the, these individuals and their families. So they, they're definitely the place to go. Hmm. It's it's so something we keep coming back to this thing about if we don't talk about it, and people who are are potentially falling down this rabbit hole don't hear the negative dialogue, but find themselves increasingly surrounded by the normalised dialogue. This is the problem. Like actually, normalising the conversation about how terrible it is, it all helps with the the dialogue being out there that that swings the balance that way. Because if you put your fingers in your ears. Pretend it doesn't exist and, and go down that rabbit hole. It's, yeah. And I, and I think as well, that when I was talking about yeah. kind of parents and, the, and their involvement, a really important thing to do as well is to to not punish your child or young person for, for things. And, and obviously, most of the time, thankfully, it'd be much lower level incidences that, that would be happening online. But once you've kind of taken that step to go, right, you've done this and I told you not to do it, whatever it might be online, I'm going to remove your computer or your laptop or whatever for you. What that basically means is that, okay, well, if I do come to you because I'm in this scenario that we're talking about today, what you're going to do is just remove, you know, my support mechanism, you know, the thing that keeps me sane, all of my friends and et cetera. So that's really important as well. As much as as a parent, the first thing you want to do, and it, you know, is the natural, like, I just want them to really understand that, that that was really risky and really scary. And actually what I've done is just reacted in a really natural way because I'm scared, you know, and, and that's why. But by doing that, it, it it kind of just gives them that that doubt that you will be able to help them in the future. Actually, they look that they you know they've been blamed in that scenario for what for what's happened. It's been removed, so really they're the kind of perpetrator, you know, there rather than the victim of, of, of that scenario. So it's really important that and 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 also in in Wilson's case, even though they were all young males, and we already know there's such a problem with underreporting um, in young males, young boys, males in general. Um, talking much more openly about their feelings or situations that happen. So um, to not shy away from those conversations um, with young boys. Oh, it's a lot to it's a lot to sit with, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It really it's, is. It's, it's not. What you know, be... this is not the norm. We, we are today talking about you know a particular case, um, and it's the most you know very very high risk. Um, and it's the worst possible scenario as a parent you could ever imagine your, your child going through. It's not the reality of their everyday life. Yes, it could happen. It, of course it could. Um, but I think we do need to have a, a level of perspective of, as I said, most of their um, you know, contact online is really positive. And I guess the issue we do have as well is that a lot of these sites and some platforms, particularly over the years as they've kind of grown and developed, the whole premise of being on them is to talk to strangers. So actually, our messaging 15 years ago used to be, don't talk to anybody you don't know. The whole point no, of being it. on these, the whole premise of them, is to talk to people you don't know. So, so that in itself is quite dated. It's kind of who you're talking to, but what you're giving them, like what you're telling them, what you're sharing. And it's at that point with regards to image sharing where it becomes very dangerous. That's a real trigger point. <sighs> 
And you know what? This is a complete, again, another tangent, but something I want to quickly pick, pick up on. Anyone who does my job for a living will have been subject to trolling. And there are trolling sites where I am, you know, there's trolling going on. There's stuff that's happened to me, which I know is like borderline illegal, you know, doxing. And you know what? I don't report it because I'm scared of, uh, of fueling the the abuse and so this is and i so i know how it is to be trapped in that in cyberbullying and when you say this is real world the feelings that i feel and the way it affects my day-to-day -day and you know the real the actual impact although it's all digital is is real and i'm not comparing that to child abuse but it gives you an, an idea that maybe more people can understand that that is something that we all experience and and don't successfully this knowing exactly how to navigate tell us. We'll say, so somebody approached you or somebody shared an image with you what did you do i just didn't do anything i just deleted it i get it all the time you know it, as i said it's normalized what you're saying there is you get you know these people putting like really horrible negative comments about you in some ways as, as upsetting as can be it, it can just be quite normal that that happens and, and this isn't normal you know this shouldn't be normal so we do need to you know, report what we see um, and to let the platforms know and to, as a totally young person, you know, to let an adult know what, what's happening around them. No, no, so, so it's just a broader point around kind of online harms and how all this comes together and the impact it has on, on society. So violence against women and girls, you know, everything that's been playing out recently about harmful behaviour, you, you, you know, there is just something um, that we are tolerating at the moment with that low barrier to entry point where somebody can escalate from um, you, you know an interest online into something that's niche which can very very quickly become something that's really really damaging and there's nothing in between them so if you were behaving like that real world uh, then you get some peer challenge then people might pull you to one side and say what are you doing you know Part of the challenge that we've got at the moment, um, and you know, the online harms agenda and attempts to regulate this are the first signs of us starting to live with this and understand it and work through what should be happening online. But there is a real world consequence to all of this. You know, somebody that you know starts as a troll uh, may not stop there and may escalate to something much more sinister. But unless you've got something that's coming in in terms of challenge which is a, a nudge or a very sharp elbow to say that's wrong, they just convince themselves it's normal. And, and you see that with all of the online harms, you know, with escalation. And it is not dissimilar to radicalization in, in that people are told that what they're doing is normal. And somebody that might be a pariah elsewhere suddenly meets a like-minded person who says, where have you been all my life? What you're doing is really cool. And if you, if you then amplify that, globally and internationally, which the internet does, very quickly you go from one lonely person that, that to, to, to you know hundreds of thousands of people saying what you're doing is normal, not only is it normal, it's cool, uh, if you do what I do, you can do it better. And that's that's what we're facing with, and that's what we need to get to grips with. You know, and, it, and it's playing out every day, and you, you have to, people like you will understand it, I guess the, the, the real challenge is for influencers online, of all of the things that I will say today, you know, people, there is a tendency as part of processing it to be really, really defensive 
you know, we are not demonizing social media and the internet. We think it's brilliant, you know, but, but the, what I kind of don't understand is the point I made earlier, why this just fades away. This just fades away. You know, I, I can't understand why people aren't raging against this. And you can probably understand with a job like mine and, you know, Marie's job, you know, we sit here going, can nobody else see this? No, but everyone can see it. We can all see it, you know, and, and yeah, again, to go back to the trolling thing, I'm, I'm experiencing it on a day-to-day -day basis and I, and I go, right, this is part of my job, head down, whereas if anything even close to that was happening in real life and if it was happening to my children, yeah. And, and, and you feel really powerless. It's abstract as you say, because it's not a human in the room, but they are humans doing it. And I am a human at the re receiving end. I mean, it's a whole different episode about this kind of thing. But if you believe what's happening from a trolling point of view, it goes into illegal activity, like including doxing and the, and the like, is there, because you're like, you're not going to ring the police about it. What, what do you do? So, you know, regulation is coming. You know, it's not what everybody wants, but it is coming. So, you know, there will be an outlet for, ultimately, where we sit now, there was a big, big responsibility on companies to deal with this. Now, you know, everybody's got their own view on what that should look like in the future. But moving, you know, with things that which are illegal, like child abuse, there's, I think, quite a clear line where people struggle with some of the conversation is around how you define the kind of risky behavior, nasty behavior, which becomes illegal and that jumping off point of where um, legal but harmful behavior, um, how you stop that. Yeah, you know, ultimately, I guess I am forced to say that the people that know most about their networks and their people are the platforms. They just do. You know, the business model relies on behavioral insight um, and understanding what people do. So, you, you, you know, I've got to be quite challenging and say that if you've got that type of stuff happening, you need to, a commensurate amount of investment in moderation and protection to get these people off um, and get them off your platform and keep malleting them. Um, to, it's attritional and it's difficult, and I know that, but it kind of goes with the territory, uh, and, and I wouldn't apologise for saying that. Um, be, be, because you, you know what the numbers are, <laughs> you know what the profit margins are, and you know what the bottom line is. So get the balance right if you want to keep your platform safe, healthy, with you know without people being trolls, accessing child abuse images. Then be really good at it. Be the best, and don't lock yourself out of your own material so you can't do it. Yeah, that feels like a very very top line thing. Um. So, I mean, to bring it back to, yeah, the case of uh, David Wilson and, and specifically child abuse, what, if people are listening, what are the kind of biggest messages with one or two or three big, mess, like top line messages we'd like them to kind of go away with from this? So if I do kind of, um, you know, you're probably three things, and then Marie, if you want to come in around parents and carers, but certainly from my perspective, um, you know, we absolutely want to work with, with industry to prevent people like Wilson pursuing this type of offending. There is a specific type of offending where contact abuse is being facilitated with false accounts, false personas, uh, and we need access to content to do that. 
So, you know, my ask is for everybody to help us with that um, because we need to do it. We're working really well with industry. I need that to carry on. I don't want to be locked out of that material. You know, I, I am not interested in what people are doing socially online. You know, we have more important things to worry about. If there are known child abuses online, get them referred to us. If there's people abusing children, get them referred to us. The second point I would say is our tolerance of material online. You know, it is at this point that how can we have a, a position where you can acquire illegal material through a legal search engine? How can you get to a cat A image of child abuse, which is the worst type of image, which I won't describe, through a legal search engine? We need to eliminate that. And then the third point is kind of safety by design with everything. You know, instead of, it feels to me right now that a lot of companies are afraid to put on the yellow jersey and be the world leader in safety in case there's an adverse outcome and somebody says to them, you said you were the safest. Turn that on its head. Be brave. Set up your business so you're the safest. Be proud of being the safest and, and, and make your mantra online safety as a platform um, and go from there. And, and, and those three things would really, really help us because we're still going to be arresting bad people. You know, this isn't about social media. You, you know, it's about preserving enough time and capacity for us to go after the worst people and get them locked up. If you do those three things for us, you give us more capacity to do it. And Maria, no doubt, would have some things around um, parents and carers. Keeping my mic on, I think I'm in the background noise that you've been hearing. Um, yeah, I think for me, you know, don't wait for it to be too late. Um, you know, tonight, have that conversation and, you know, think about the best way to support your child and, you know, establish a positive relationship um, around them, about their online life. And that can mean so many different things in, in what they're doing. Um, and talk to them often and, you know, make the ongoing conversation a part of, yeah, of, of everyone's life. So it's anyone within the household is a part of that um, as well. Um, and as I said before, you know your child best. You know, trust your instincts. If you feel there's just something wrong, if they're potentially hiding what they're doing, um, you know, if they're feeling a particular way, to, to, to question that, you know, in a really supportive way and to support them any way you can. And as, you know, as a child, a young person who may, who may be listening or a parent, you know, to seek support when you need it, to not be embarrassed or feel gay, um, kind of blame or shame or guilt or anything. This happens to... Sadly, so many people in relation to what we're talking about today with Wilson, you know, there's hundreds of families here who are having to, to deal with the fallout of this. You know, you're, you're not alone. Um, and places like Think You Know, where all of our education advice sits, um, all of that's available. Our reporting, Clixiot reporting portal is there as well to, to help um, the police, but also, you know, your child's school. Um, you know, as I said, relationships and sex education is, plays a really key and important role in this. So, you know, do talk to your child's school about what they're doing in that time. It's not putting any responsibility on anybody. As I said, we're all in this together. We all play a part and we can all support each other in doing so. Hmm. I mean, my way to end is to thank you both personally for the work that you do because... I joked at the beginning about it being real jobs, but you're you're doing tough, tough, tough work for the greater good, and I appreciate it hugely, as do I'm sure everyone listening. And yeah, I mean, 
there seems to be some if I was Oprah Winfrey I'd do some good parallel about how the, the power of these online communities we really need to harness that kind of community spirit uh, you know across across all of those touch points that you're talking about because although at the moment it's bigger than us as you say we all have the capacity to turn this around with very very doable like actionable things tonight with our children and and if we all had those conversations with our children even if it was a fractional percentage of improvement it, it it's moving in the right it's direction taking power away from those offenders as Rob said earlier the minute yeah. a young person speaks out their power has been removed um sadly they would likely go to another another child or young person you know don't let that be your child or young person and we're doing our best to make sure that it's no child or young person So that's it. Wow. 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 Um, in the aftermath of this recording, I really couldn't think of anything else other than what I'd learned um, yeah, during my conversations with the two officers. Um, yeah, it's absolutely shocking and horrendous and terrifying, but it also made me think, wow, we all really need to start educating ourselves about this. We all need to be brave enough to have those conversations with our kids. We need to get like lay the groundwork so that our kids don't feel ashamed if they do find themselves having shared sexual images because I think for me that's the crucial thing one thing trying to stop it happening but if it does happen to try and yeah make them feel that they can come to me um yeah as I said at the beginning I totally wish we all wish this didn't happen but it is happening and we need to stop burying our heads in the sand about it I always end every episode with saying, oh, please do like rate, review and share. But more than ever, this is the episode that I really, really hope that you do share with people that you know, whether that's your mum's WhatsApp group, whether that's on social media. Please let's get everybody listening to this and open collective eyes about it and, and help, help, yeah, try and make, reduce this problem because, well, because we have to, don't we? Otherwise we just... As Rob says, this is a, this is just an ever-growing wave. It's, it's a slow car crash that we all need to do our bit to try and prevent. So thank you for listening. Please do that and please join me next week for the second part of this episode.